Thank you. It's it's a privilege to be here today um, from God's Word. Um, just a few fun facts about me. Like, well, not like Don said, but I do have three children, um, two boys and a girl, ages 27, 24, and 19. Um, I homeschooled for 15 years. Then some of my kids went to private school, charter school, and then we ended up throwing them in public high school. Um, I do currently teach sixth grade middle school online. Um, love the students even though we're virtual. Um, I thought you could practice your, the uh, topic of kindness and patience with me because I'm used to talking to 12 year olds, so you're a little old for me. Um, the last thing, uh, I was adopted for the bargain basement price of $25. So how you can put a price on adoption, I have no idea, but apparently you can. So I try not to be bitter about that because I have a friend who was $500, so I don't know. So as you know, my topic is kindness and patience, and I thought when I get nervous, I, I tend to walk around, but then I thought, no, I can't do that because I'll look like Joyce Myers or something like that. So please bear with me if I like grab this or move or whatever, but. You have the outline in front of you, so you know my three topics, and there'll be a few little subtopics in between, but I'd like to start out with what kind of a person is kind and what kind of a person is patient? The answer is a humble person. Philippians 2.3 tells us, do nothing from selfishness or empty conceit, but with humility consider one another as more important than yourselves. Romans 12.3, for through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think, but to think so as to have sound judgment, as God has allotted to each a measure of faith. We have to assess who we are first according to the word before we can be kind and patient. And as I said before, a kind and patient person is a humble person. So let's see how kindness and patience work together. Well, I love Noah Webster and how he defines kindness and patience in his 1828 dictionary. It says this, kindness is goodwill, benevolence, that temper or disposition which delights in contributing to the happiness of others, which is exercised cheerfully in gratifying their wishes, supplying their wants or alleviating their distress. Kindness always accompanies love. It's any act of benevolence which promotes the happiness or welfare of others. It's charity, hospitality, it's attention to wants of others that are deemed acts of kindness. I also looked up the definition in today's dictionary and it was somewhat vague. It goes like this, a kind act, friendly feeling, liking. Kindness in the world is always changing. Today's definitions are inadequate compared to older definitions. It seems we've lost the value for kindness and patience. I'd like to go on to give you the definition that Webster gives in for patience. He says it's the quality of, of enduring evils without murmuring or fretfulness, sustaining affliction of body or mind with fortitude, calmness, or Christian submission to the divine will. It's not easily provoked, it's calm under sufferance of injuries or offenses. While today's definition 
is an ability or willingness to suppress restlessness or annoyance when confronted with delay. So what does the world today think about kindness and patience? Well, here's one idea from About Time magazine. They say, I implore you this week to spread kindness where you can. Where you can. Hint, following government guidelines. <laughs> but also to practice self-kindness. Treat yourself as a friend. Load up on self-care. Check in with your friends. FaceTime your family. Look out at the blue sky and sunshine and know how lucky you are to be alive. And the world also talks about patience in mindful.org. They say people are encouraged to be patient, not because it benefits others or a virtue to live by, but for the following reasons. First off, patience is the key to a happy life for us. It is for our benefit. Mindful.org goes on to say patient people enjoy better mental health. They enjoy better friends and neighbors. Patience helps us to achieve our goals. Patience is also linked to good health. And who doesn't want good health, especially when you're caring for young children? But what does God's word have to say about kindness and patience? Well, first, kindness and patience from a biblical worldview never changes. Let's look at where true kindness comes from and who gives us genuine kindness. Well, the answer obviously is from God. I love what Ephesians 1.3 says. It says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. It goes on in Ephesians 1.8 with, which he lavished upon us. I love that word lavished. In his providential grace, God has already given us total blessing. He is our source of blessing. His righteousness and his resources are available to us and move us to display his kindness and his patience. I'm going to start off with an excerpt from the book that was just uh, given away from J.C. Ryle. Um, if you ever have a chance to get the old English one, that is the better one. I think the ones I had were um, in today's language. But he says the following. We must train up your children with all tenderness, affection, and patience. By this, I do not mean that we, should not that we should spoil them, but rather that we should let them see that we love them. Love should be the silver thread that runs through all our conduct, kindness, gentleness, endurance, restraint, patience, sympathy, a willingness to engage with our child's troubles, a readiness to take part in our child's play. These are always by which a child may be led most easily. These are the clues we must follow if we would find the way to their heart. He goes on further to say that children's minds are cast in much the same mold as our own. A stern and severe manner scares them and sets them back. It closes their hearts and we will tire ourselves out trying to find a way back in again. But if we let them see that we are truly affectionate toward them, that we really do want to make them happy and do them good, that if we punish them, then it is attended for their good. They must be wooed with kindness if their attention is ever to be won. Children are weak and tender creatures, and as much they need patience and considerate treatment. They are like young plants and need gentle watering often, but a little at a time. Truly, there is a need of patience in training a child. Without it, nothing can be done. Nothing will compensate for the absence of this tenderness and love. He goes on to say, 
In the same way, we must set before our, our children their duty, command, warn, discipline, and reason with them. But if we do this without affection, our labor will be in vain. A father who speaks to his son as Saul did to Jonathan in 1 Samuel 20, 30, when he curses Jonathan for siding with David, this father should not expect to retain his influence over his son's mind. So how does the Lord instruct us what we are to do? We're to put off and put off. In Colossians 3.8, it says, But now you also put them all aside, anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. This is like removing our old filthy garments, our old sinful lives. So if we put off, then we also need to put on. Colossians 3.10 tells us, And have put on the new self, who's being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. Verse 14 continues to say, Beyond all these things, put on love, which is the perfect bond of unity. So we put off the old self and put on the new. We're new creatures in Christ. So I ask the question again, how do we in Christ become a patient and kind person? Well, let me continue with Colossians 3.15 because it says it perfectly. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Verse 16 says, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you. Richly is abundantly or extravagantly, extravagantly rich, and dwell means to live in or to be at home. Scripture should permeate every aspect of our mom life. We must continually be renewed into Christ-likeness. We cannot be an example of kindness or patience if we're not spending time with the one who exemplifies those qualities perfectly. So while what I have said so far from God's word is true, what does that look like in real life? When the baby's been crying up all night, when your top toddler just threw a car in the toilet and flushed, or when your sweet daughter decides to help clean the carpet with bleach. How do you put off and put on when you're not in control of your circumstances? What does it look like when things aren't going the way we had hoped? We need to stop ourselves. We need to remind ourselves what we're to do. We all struggle in our life. We have more chances to be unkind than kind. We need to put it aside and just stop and put on the words that share tenderness and kindness. We can purpose in our hearts to decide, I'm not going to do those things, but to put on the things God wants me to put on. We focus on what we know is true in our moment of weakness. Let peace rule in me. Let the word richly dwell in me. Put on love. Be thankful that your daughter has a heart to serve you with her cleaning. Ladies, we won't always be kind. We won't always be patient. But still, our sin needs to be dealt with. We cannot deal with our everyday circumstances and our own strength. There is a better way. Actually, there's a best way. Hebrews 4.16 reminds us, Let us therefore draw near with confidence to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and may find grace to help in the time of need. When we draw near, we come to the one who is always kind and long-suffering. Which brings me to my next question, how else is kindness manifested? Well, let's look at our second point of Christian kindness. What does Christian kindness look like? What does it look like in the life of a mom? 
Well, let's examine um, Ephesians 4, 31 and 32. Here again, we see the same command to put off and put on. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. Ephesians 5.1 further states, Therefore be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you, offering a sacrifice to God as a fragrant aroma. These verses describe the change in our lives as believers. Before Christ, we were filled with smoldering resentment, deep hostility, evil speaking, and now we are to put on the principle of love in the heart and the outward expression of it, humble, courteous behavior. We are to be tender-hearted, that is merciful, and having the tender sense of distress and sufferings of others. We're to be quickly moved to compassion and pity. John Piper gives us five aspects of Christian kindness, and I'm going to give you just a brief summary of the five and hope I don't butcher his statements. So the first one is the extent of Christian kindness. How much kindness should we show? This is addressed in verse 31. Christian kindness is so extensive that it replaces all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander with malice. But sometimes kindness can hurt. Piper goes on to say, does the kindness of Jesus always extend to the Pharisees? Is it kind to say to them as Jesus does in Matthew 23, 27, woe to you scribes and Pharisees, you hypocrites, for you are whitewashed tombs. He further states, I think we should honor that special tenderness of the word more by saying that Jesus was not kind to the Pharisees. He was being severe for the, with them, but the Pharisees needed to hear the truth. The extent of Christian kindness is not precise. It calls for a deep, deep self-examination in scripture and the deceptiveness of our own heart. We are to examine our heart daily, to confess and repent. The second point Piper brings up is the depth of Christian kindness. Christian kindness is tender-hearted. If the heart is hard on the inside and the manners are meek and polite and helpful on the outside, it's not Christian kindness. You can't just decide to be tender-hearted and turn it on like a faucet. It's a deep character quality. Where does it come from? How can we obey this command to make our kindness to each other deep and heartfelt? not superficial and cool. Let's take a look at number three, the pattern of Christian kindness. He says there are two patterns of Christian kindness, the forgiveness of God and the love of Christ. So when kindness calls for forgiveness, the pattern is the forgiveness of God in Christ. When kindness calls us to forgive a wrong that has been done against us, we are sustained by the truth of God's holiness. In order to be kind, we must first remember that amazing forgiveness of our sins and that God's forgiveness was costly. It cost him his son. The second pattern of our kindness is the love of Christ. In Ephesians 5.2, walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. The love of Christ for us is undeserved. And so we shouldn't insist that people earn our love and our kindness either. Next point the next one he gives is the instrument of Christian kindness. What is it that we must employ or exert in order to become kind and tender-hearted? It begins with the verse I stated before in Ephesians 4, 31. 
Let all bitterness, wrath, and anger, and clamor, and slander be taken away from you. The instrument of our kindness is not simply ourselves. It doesn't lie within us. Someone else has to do the work, and the work is the Holy Spirit. And the time we spend in the word renewing our mind. This is our cry for the work of the Spirit to conquer the old self and clothe us with the new. When we believe these things and practice these things, we can demonstrate Christian kindness, which works together with patience. His final point was five, the source of Christian kindness. We must believe in the Spirit of God. Excuse me. We must believe if the Spirit of God is to conquer unkindness in our hearts, three things must take place. First, we must believe that Christ died in our place. Second, we must believe that God has forgiven our sins. As verse 32 says, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. In order to be kind, you must be forgiven. In order to be kind, you must believe that you are forgiven for all your sins you've ever committed and will ever commit. And finally, we must believe that we are loved by God. As Ephesians 5.1 states, be imitators of God. Walk in love, just as Christ also loved you and gave himself up for you. This leads me to my third and final point. Why is kindness and patience important in our marriage? What example does it set for our children? Well, we have to remember we're image bearers of God. And so when we reflect his qualities of patience and kindness, we reflect him. Every day we must fight for our marriage and holiness. We need to go to our Bible and ask not to be unkind, not to be critical. I'm asking for love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, meekness, faithfulness, self-control. Again, we hear the command to put on in Colossians 3, 12, and 13. Put on a heart of compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, bearing with one another, forgiving each other. Whoever has a complaint against anyone, just as the Lord forgave you, so you must do also. This refers to the goodness towards others that permeates the entire person, mellowing our harsh aspects. Patience is also called long-suffering. It's the opposite of quick anger and resentment. It endures injustice and troublesome circumstances with the hope for coming relief. In 1 Corinthians 13.4, we're reminded that love is patient, love is kind. Love is an action. It's the fullness of, of love is patience with people and gracious to them with generosity. Showing love in action produces patience and kindness. Kindness, we know, is more than being polite or nice. It's going out of our way to grant favor, help, or to bless someone. The Bible has a lot to say as we know about kindness and patience. I know by now we know the answer to the following question. But I think it bears repeating, as we often forget. So who is the source of kindness and patience? God is the source and his word. The word is and should always be our go-to. So let's look at another verse, Titus 3, 4, and 5. It says, but when the kindness of love of God, our Savior, appeared, he saved us. I love how John MacArthur describes kindness in Titus 3, 4, the following way. He says, first, he saved us, number one, by his kindness. 
It was kindness that caused God to effect a saving plan. God is kind. The word literally means goodness of heart. It means that he was concerned, excuse me, it means that he was a concern in his heart toward people in misery. God is basically good. He is inherently good. He is inherently kind. In Luke 6.35, Jesus teaches us this, Love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he himself is kind to ungrateful and evil men. There is the very essence of the attribute of God, kindness. He is kind even to ungrateful and evil men. It is God's innate nature to be kind, to be patient to us who are very undeserving sinners, to very ungrateful sinners. He is patient, he is forbearing, he is good. MacArthur goes on to say that kindness and loving compassion were thought to be the highest virtues that ancient Greek gods could ever have. I don't know about you, but if you've ever read any Greek mythology, none of them are like that. The kindness of God and his love of mankind appeared. When did it appear? When the grace of God appeared. God's kindness and God's love could be seen in a myriad of ways throughout the Old and New Testament. But the full, visible, personal manifestation of the grace of God, the kindness of God, and the love of God came in the incarnation of Jesus Christ. He was compassionate. He was pity, he was love, he was kindness. He was goodness in human form. He was the eternal God made visible. And all the divine Father's attributes that loved us sinners were made visible in Jesus. We couldn't rescue ourselves. It was the kindness and the love of God that appeared in Christ that started that rescue operation. I know that's a lot and quite a bit about God's character, and in this third point, you may be asking yourself, why did I do this? Well, I've seen that reflecting on God's character in our personal walk and marriage can be used to convince our children that God can save from sin when they see parents who live a holy life, not a perfect life, but a life striving for holiness. There's no question that we should be kind and patient in our dealings with everyone, but especially our spouse. We can always learn from stories, and I love stories. I love reading about people and events, and one particular favorite is George Mueller. He told a story about a wife's kindness and patience, and it goes like this. He told of a wealthy German whose wife was a devout believer. This man was a heavy drinker, spending late nights in the tavern. She would send the servants to bed, stay up till he returned, received him kindly, and never scold him or complain. At times, she would even have to undress him and put him to bed. One night in the tavern, he said to his cronies, I bet if we go to my house, my wife will be sitting up waiting for me. She'll come to the door, give us a royal welcome, and even make supper for us if I ask her. They were skeptical at first, but decided to go along and see. Sure enough, she came to the door, received them courteously and willingly agreed to make supper for them without the slightest hint of resentment. After serving them, she went off to her room. As soon as she had left, one of the men began to condemn the husband. What kind of a man are you to treat such a woman so miserably? The accuser got up without finishing his supper and left the house. 
Another did the same, until they had all departed without eating the meal. Within a half hour, the husband became, became deeply convicted of his wickedness, and especially of his heartless treatment of his wife. He went to his wife's room, asked her to pray for him, repented of his sin, and surrendered to Christ. From that time on, he became a devoted disciple of the Lord Jesus, one without a word. George Mueller advised, don't be discouraged if you have to suffer from unconverted relatives. Perhaps very shortly, the Lord may give you the desire of your heart and answer your prayer for them. But in the meantime, seek to commend the truth, not by reproaching them on account of their behavior towards you, but by manifesting toward them the meekness, gentleness, and kindness of the Lord Jesus Christ. It can be a challenge to be patient with one another, especially when it comes to the inevitable personality clashes we have with our spouses from time to time. But the scripture urges us to exercise patience and to show kindness when we're feeling irritated with one another. It's one of the many attributes that helps us keep the peace in our marriage. Life is hard and marriage can be tough. When our eyes are focused on our circumstances rather than the Lord, we lose sight of our priorities. Being intentional about kindness in our marriage can help us to focus and put it into practice. Ephesians 4, 2 says, With all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing forbearance to one another. Humility, gentleness, and patience are reflected in a forbearing love for others that it is continuous and unconditional. If God has shown me his kindness by sending his son to forgive our sins, should the result of that action in my life be that I'm willing to be kind and patient to my spouse, to others, forgiving them and being a tender-hearted person? So I ask you, how are you going to respond? The day has been so long. The kids were whining and bickering all day. The pool is closed because of a global pandemic that just goes on and on and on. We can't get out of the house, and we are all hot and ready to explode. I've played nurse and referee and teacher and counselor and housekeeper all day. My email's overflowing with emails I need to reply to for my business. Dinner just finished up. Thank you, Instapot. And I am ready to jump into my second job. My husband comes back from work in a funk because of some paperwork he couldn't understand. He walks in, looks at me sitting down at the desk, and begins unloading about his day. About two tirades in, he realizes I'm not giving him my undivided attention. What's wrong with you? Are you mad at me? Why are you always on that computer? My fuse was already short. He's implying I've done nothing else all day but sit at the computer. Didn't he smell that delicious dinner? Hasn't he realized his kids are still alive? What about the clean house and the folded laundry, really? This is the perfect chance to practice showing kindness in marriage. Each day we have a choice on how we will respond to our spouse. Will we respond with patience and kindness, or will we react with a swift and critical word? When love is kind in marriage, it requires one spouse to see the oncoming fight and sidestep as you put off and put on. There are more than 100 ways we can show kindness to our husbands, so get ready. I'm going to give you all 100, and then you will be tested. No, just kidding. I'm not going to give you 100. So one way 
they're simple. Find things that your husbands like to do. It could be simply picking up a package of red vines, which would make my husband quite happy from the store. <laughs> Taking an interest in the activities that he likes to do. Making that favorite dinner that he loves. Quietly waiting and then responding instead of reacting. Let the kindness of the Lord work in you and see the difference it will make in your life, in your relationships, and your testimony. I leave you with this. It was given to me from a dear friend, and she shares Psalm 18:25. It says, With the faithful, you yourself are faithful. With the blameless, you prove yourself blameless. She reminded me that it's special to know that God is going to reward our kindness by his kindness to us, especially in a world that doesn't always acknowledge our kindness. Sometimes we're treated harshly when we're kind, and it's so special to know that the Lord sees our acts of kindness and promises to bless them. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you that you are our ultimate resource, Lord. I thank you that you've lavished the riches of your grace upon us. Father, I ask that you continue to work in the lives of these sweet moms who are raising the next generation. We thank you for your word, and we thank you most for your son. In Jesus' name, amen.